This is 1988 Tops, where every card has a story to tell. Your hosts are David McKellis and Matt Kuzma. Let's play ball. Welcome back to 1988 Tops. David, what's our card for this week? Our card this week is card number 377, Sam Horn, DH slash first baseman, Boston Red Sox. And this was a request from a listener. Listener Ryan from Boston suggested this Sam Horn card. Sam Horn was a Red Sox prospect, first-round draft pick. He had a fast start and a couple very good first games for teams. He ended up with a dubious distinction, but really left a lasting impression on Boston fans in the short time that he spent with the Red Sox. Sounds great. Let's go to the front of 377 of Sam Horn. And here we have Sam in the field. He is ready to field a ground ball at first base in what I would just call the most awkward-looking stance an athlete could be in. See, he looks enormous. He looks out of scale of the letters at the top of the card. He looks like his glove is so huge and he is so large that he's scooping down to pick up the very tiny little letters that spell tops in the bottom left corner of the card. Are you sure he played first base? Yeah, a little bit of trivia here. How many games do you think this man played in the field in 1987? Uh, I, I don't know the answer, and I'm going to guess less than five. Zero. 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 <laughs> All right. I got it. <laughs> That's right, Matt. This this very tall Sam Horn, he is 6'5", played zero games at first base. Even though he is marked as DH slash first base, that was an aspirational marking by the Topps Corporation. Sam was expected to maybe play first base, but as we can see from the card, he was a defensive liability throughout his career as a first baseman. I would have much rather seen him at the plate on his on his baseball card. <laughs> I think that the Red Sox also, that's why they kept Sam around for his abilities at the plate as opposed to those in the field. He's not the tallest guy that we've talked about. Mike Smithson, Big Mike, was 6'8". But Sam looks the biggest. I'd love to see Ed Hearn and Sam Horn on the same card somehow. <laughs> It'd be a Mothra versus Godzilla uh, kind of battle. Flipping to the back of 377, Sam Horn, DH, first base, as we said, height 6'5", weight 215, left-handed batter and thrower. Drafted in the first round by the Red Sox in 1982. Born November 2nd. 1963 in Dallas, Texas, with a home in San Diego, California. When was when was yeah. John F. Kennedy assassinated? <laughs> we both just <laughs> did the math there. Was that the 22nd? Yeah, the 22nd of 1963. So Sam was okay. born in Dallas just 20 days before the assassination of John F. Kennedy. I don't see oh, right, any connection right, right. there. Sam had nothing to do with it. That wasn't why he left town. He was raised in yeah, California. He was, he was just a tiny He was baby. only... Th- he was he was three weeks old, so nothing to do with the Kennedy assassination. The, the family made their home in San Diego. San Diego, of course, in German means a whale's vagina, according to Ron Burgundy. I have no San Diego history in here. I, I didn't really look it up. Uh, we'll get into that in another episode. I didn't want to dig in. There's a lot there. But Sam went to Samuel F.B. Morse High School in San Diego, 
Samuel Morse, best known for inventing the telegraph, developing the Morse code, less well known for running for mayor of New York on an anti-immigrant platform, as well as actively being a pro-slavery writer. This high school in San Diego that bears his name now serves a population that is 35% Filipino, 30% Latino, and 20% African American. Maybe might want to think about changing the name of that high school. Since the anti-immigrant platform and his pro-slavery writing were written in a series of dots and dashes, I'm uh, I'm guessing that people didn't really understand it. That's true. It's you know, and and I had to translate the Wikipedia from Morse code. <laughs> But when when Sam went to Samuel Morse High School, he played baseball alongside future uh, Major League player Mark, I'm going to pop some tags, Mac Lamore. More recently, five-time All-Star Adam Jones went to Morse High School. Two other guys, Quentin Berry and Bruce Billings, played in MLB in the 2010s. Other non-baseball alumni, comedian Faison Love and Olympic gold medalist Monique Henderson went to Morse High School. At Morse, Horn and McLemore were uh, not the rapper, but the baseball player, were coached by Bob Mendoza. Bob Mendoza played briefly in the Red Sox minor league system in the 1950s before returning to San Diego to go back to school. After graduating, he spent 30-plus years as a teacher and coach in the San Diego public school system, coaching baseball and football at Morse from 1970 to 2000. He was given a Lifetime Achievement Award after his retirement by the California Coaches Association, so a pretty legendary high school coach in San Diego. Under Mendoza's tutelage, Sam Horn, first baseman built like a tight end, made first-team all-region as a senior, hitting 421. Also on that all-region team, David Wells. And David Wells was the regional player of the year that season and a second-round draft pick in the 1982 draft. Mark McLemore was a ninth-round pick in 1982. Sam was offered a full ride to USC for football and baseball, but instead, he was picked in the draft. Yeah, and that takes us to the This Way to the Clubhouse, that Sam was signed as a first-round draft selection with the Boston Red Sox June 10th, 1982, by scout Ray Boone. And that's a good name. Ray Boone is a name that listeners probably know. The Boone family... In baseball, a big name, but also descended from a big name in American history, Daniel Boone. I, I cannot confirm really? this. Really? What? I cannot, it was in some <laughs> interview with Aaron Boone. I, I didn't click through to the article, but the claim is made. The claim's out there. It's in an article. Reportedly related to frontiersman Daniel Boone. Yes. I cannot confirm nor deny that. We'll look into it if somebody wants to get us some follow-up. I'd be happy to accept that. Well, and you know what? We're going to do a Bob Boone episode. We'll get into it in the Bob Boone oh, yeah. episode. We'll, f- we'll follow up <laughs> in the Bob Boone episode. Good idea. We aren't doing that one next week because he had like a 20 season career and that's, that's too <laughs> much work. But Ray Boone, born in San Diego, served in the Navy during World War II prior to starting a baseball career. He played for Cleveland as a rookie in 1948 when they won the World Series. He played a little bit. A very little bit. Five regular season at-bats and one at-bat in the World Series. He'd play in two All-Star games, get MVP consideration a couple of times in a 13-season career, mostly with Cleveland and Detroit. He went into scouting for the Red Sox after his career ended, serving in that role from 1960 through 1992. 
33 seasons of scouting. He had three kids, Rod, who played minor league baseball, Terry, who was a champion swimmer, and Bob Boone, who would play nearly 20 years in the major leagues as a catcher and whose card is included in the 1988 top set. Ray's grandsons, Aaron and Brett, played in Major League Baseball, the first family to send three generations to an all-star game. A great-grandson is currently in the Nationals minor league system. He was in low A ball in 2021 after playing at Princeton, so it remains to be seen whether a fourth generation makes it to the Major League Baseball. Ray passed away in 2004 at the age of 81, but in 1982 he signed Sam Horn to a deal with an $82,500 signing bonus. And Sam went off to Rookie League. Yep, Sam went to play for what would be the Oak Ridge Boys' favorite Rookie League team, Elmira. And I don't know if that actually old... is the pronunciation of that. I saw Elmira. I saw Elmira. But I'm going I'm going to go it. with Elmira. My heart's on fire. And another 18-year-old on that team, Mike Greenwell. Sam, however, was the star of this team, hitting 300 with 11 home runs in 61 games. 1983 takes the step up to low A, struggles a little bit at that next step, hitting only 240. He stays around for a second season and catches his stride, hitting 313, 21 home runs, also drew 76 walks, good for a 962 OPS in 1984. But his fielding was a work in progress, as we see from the front of the card. He had 29 errors, which led the Carolina League first baseman. His teammate and hero of the pod, Ray Quinones, made 50 errors at shortstop for that team. So this team had a, I think they had nearly 300 errors on the season. Something like 275. <laughs> it, it was a lot of errors. So 1985, as we see on the card, this is his fourth year and he's still only at double A. So they're kind of taking their time moving him through the stations to give him time to work on his game. He hit 282 with 11 home runs at 82 RBIs, a solid year at the plate, but still had 23 errors. And there were folks ahead of him in the organization, keeping him back in the lower minors at first base. So the Red Sox didn't necessarily need him just yet, and he still needed some time to develop. In 1986, he starts again at New Britain. His numbers at the plate had dropped a bit, 246, eight homers in his first 100 games. But then a spot opened up in September in AAA when first baseman Pat Dodson got called up to the big leagues and Sam finally got his break. He played a short time at the end of the season at AAA, 20 games. He only hit 195. He still needed some time to catch up at AAA. And 1987, he starts at AAA Pawtucket and he lit up AAA pitching. There was a week in May where he and Todd Benzinger were hitting back-to-back in the lineup and combined for 27 hits in five games. Benzinger would hit 323 and earn a call-up to Boston in June. Meanwhile, this team at Pawtucket, at various points in 1987, had Ellis Burks, Jody Reed, and Brady Anderson in it. So there were a lot of future stars in this team. Sam Horn, meanwhile, had a legendary season in 1987 in the minors, and only 94 games hitting 321 with 30 home runs through July 25th, which is only six short of the Pawtucket team record for an entire season. But he wouldn't get a chance to break that record. In late July, the Red Sox were five games under 500. They're 14 and a half games out of first place. They're only a year removed from the World Series, but they decided to bring in some new blood. Ellis Burks, Greenwell, Benzinger had already been called up. Jim Rice is nearing the end of his career. Don Baylor is about done at DH. 
So the Red Sox are kind of entering a rebuilding mode. And to make room for Sam Horn, they had to release another first baseman. Unfortunately, Bill Buckner is 37, less than a year removed from that incident. And he'd been on the injured list. Buckner gets released. He'd go on to sign with the Angels. But they had to move out somebody to move Sam Horn in and that big bat. And Horn would come to Fenway and continue that hot streak. Yeah, in his major league debut against Seattle, he struck out and grounded into a double play in his first two at-bats. And so in that third at-bat with the game tied 5-5, Sam Horn smashed a two-run homer over the left field wall to put the Sox ahead. They would end up winning 11-5. Very dramatic opening game for Sam. The next night, he got three hits, including another home run. He drove in three runs. Through his first 10 games, he hit five home runs and had a 389 average, so a really fast start. He hit his 10th homer in his 31st game. That's the second fastest Red Sox player to reach double figures behind George Scott, and he became a sensation. He's given the nickname the Fenway Fridge due to his large stature and pleasant personality. While that might seem like a backhanded compliment, Sam took it took it in stride. He he figured, hey, you're big, you're nice, we're going to call you the Fenway Fridge. It didn't bother me because I wasn't fat or out of shape or anything. Now that I'm 56 years old, I do have a little baby fridge still, Sam said. <laughs> but as we can see on this yeah, card, a he's a large yeah. man, but he's not. 6'5", 215 is not out of shape. That's not William Refrigerator Perry size. No, not in the least. But compared to the other players on the team, he may have appeared like a giant among men. And so you might understand where that could come from. But as we've already stipulated the creativity of 1980s baseball nickname creators. Not terribly creative, but it does have alliteration, which which is nice. Mm, mm, true. Horn would finish up the season with 14 home runs, 34 RBIs in only 46 games. Up to that point, it was the most home runs in fewer than 50 games for a player in the American or National League. Now, if you look at Stathead, the most home runs in 46 or fewer games, with the addition of Negro League stats and the shortened 2020 season, there's a few guys ahead of him. But being behind Josh Gibson, tied with Martin DeHigo and Ronald Acuna Jr., that's nothing to be ashamed of. This is really a fantastic start to Sam's Red Sox career. But there were some hints that maybe that success was not sustainable. In his last nine games, he hit only one home run and struck out 17 times in 35 at-bats. So the strikeouts would catch up to him a little bit later in his career. But meanwhile, David, I checked with my edition of the November 1988 Beckett Baseball Card Monthly. If you look at the 1988 top section and Sam Horn's rookie card, card 377, It was 50 cents at that time. One of the most valuable cards at the time that we have discussed on the show, probably in the top five of cards value. So Sam Horn was red hot and getting ready to follow it up in 1988. I need to get this one graded. Got to put this one in a slab, hang it on the wall. (laughs) Yeah, carbon date it, covered in glass. There you go. Need to get it away from my filthy kitchen table that it's sitting on. (laughs) unfortunately sam was unable to follow up that 1987 performance with a similar star-studded performance the emergence of mike greenwell gave the red sox a left field replacement for jim rice heading into 1988 and rice was in the last years of his career 
So he was moved, as a team legend, was moved to DH. Unfortunately, that pushed Horn to the bench. Horn said, Jim Rice is playing DH, and I was basically playing in a sandbox. I just sat around oh, waiting on an opportunity. And oh, the man. opportunities were few and far between. While Mike Greenwell would have a near MVP season in 1988, Horn would have one to forget. Yeah, by June 4th, he had played in half of the Red Sox 50 games, but only had 61 at-bats. He had two home runs and a 148 average. He got sent back to AAA and didn't come back to Boston the rest of the season. And really, it seemed like his confidence was shot. He hit only 233 with 10 home runs at Pawtucket and didn't even play first base there. The Paw Sox already had Pat Dodson and Carlos Quintana splitting time there. Going into 1989, again, the Red Sox are trying to find a place for Sam. They want that big bat in the lineup. But Boston Globe columnist Dan Shaughnessy said, defensively, he was so bad it was comical. My contention was anybody could play first base. And I remember Ed Noddle was the manager of Pawtucket. And Ed said, yeah, that's not true. I've hit him my million grounders. You go hit him yours. So Sam tried to improve his first base skills, didn't get a lot of in-game experience at AAA. He made the roster, but didn't have a regular spot. He went 1-for-25 to open the season in limited action. Again, sent down to AAA in June when he was hitting only 114. He played similarly in Pawtucket to 1988. 232, 8 homers in 51 games. Earned a short September call-up, but still ended the season with another 148 average in 54 plate appearances. The Red Sox released Sam in December of that season. But two months later, he signed a minor league deal with the Orioles to try to get a fresh start. Due to an owner's lockout that season, spring training was canceled. There was a very short preseason. He played in a few exhibition games for the Orioles AAA affiliate Rochester and hit five home runs and 32 at-bats. But then his mother had a stroke, so he returned to San Diego to help her recuperate. When she was well enough, he joined the Orioles for a very short preseason camp before things got started in April. He flew back to Florida. Thanks to his good performance with the AAA club and some injuries, he ended up earning a spot on the Orioles' opening day roster and in the starting lineup. Facing 1989 Cy Young winner, future Kevin McReynolds exchange partner Brett Saberhagen, and the Royals in Kansas City on opening day 1990, Sam made another splashy introduction. On his second swing of the bat, he hit a three-run homer into the fountain at Kauffman Stadium, and in fact, that was the only bat that he brought. His bats hadn't yet made it to Kansas City from Florida, so he brought one on the plane. That was it. He hit a home run. In the eighth inning, he hit a second three-run homer, this time off Steve Farr, and that second homer was off a borrowed bat. He had to borrow a bat from Bob Melvin, and he hit a home run with it. He ended up picking up two other hits to go four for five with six RBIs, which is an Orioles opening day record. He said, the only ability of mine that was ever in doubt was the ability to get in the lineup after the game, he, referring to his Boston days. Opportunity knocked twice, and I was there to open the door and smash it into the fountain. <laughs> uh, I added that part. Sam dedicated his performance to his mother, who was recovering from that stroke. And though he had some injuries throughout the season 
and only played in 79 games in 1990. He hit 248 with 14 home runs and 45 RBIs and a solid OPS plus of 126. So he was better than average in the major leagues that season. Yeah, a very good comeback for Sam after two straight 148 seasons. Going into 1991, that would be Sam's best overall season in the major leagues. He had career highs with 121 games, 23 home runs, and 61 RBIs. He hit only 233, but had a 130 OPS+. plus. While he had a great year, he also had one game that led to a dubious and unfortunate distinction for Sam. Yeah, that's right. He had a game that was so remarkably bad that they named that type of game after him. <laughs> right, right. If if a player strikes out three times, that's a hat trick. Four times, you get a larger, shinier hat, a golden sombrero. Five times, even shinier hat, more expensive platinum sombrero. That needs a better name, the five strikeout game. But none of those could describe Sam's day on July 17th, 1991. He opens the game with a walk, scores on a home run, and then he struck out four times, including one where he reached base and scored. So he had a kind of an odd game. That was through nine innings. Unfortunately for Sam, the Orioles' bullpen blew a lead in the ninth and the game went to extra innings, where Sam struck out two more times for a total of six strikeouts in a single game. He even had a chance to break the record with a seventh, but he hit a two-out double in the top of the 15th inning. He was removed for a pinch runner who didn't end up scoring, and the Royals would go on to win the game at the end of that inning. So he became one of only eight players to strike out six times in a single game. And after the game, teammate, pitcher, the late Mike Flanagan said, from now on, six will be known as a horn. Seven will be a horn aplenty. (laughs) <laughs> and so if you strike out six times, you got the horn. Sam wasn't the first one, and nor was he the last to perform this amazing feat. Jeff Jenkins is the most recent in 2004. But aside from that one game, it was a pretty good year for Sam in 1991. 1992, he was still with the Orioles, but found himself in a familiar position, blocked with someone ahead of him at DH. He only played in... 63 games due to Glenn Davis having a decent season ahead of him and locking in that spot. The Orioles had a winning record, though, 89 games they won. And Sam said, I'd like to see myself contribute more. I'd like to see myself on ESPN. But it's hard to complain when you're winning and the guy in front of you is playing well. He's, at this point, maybe too expensive to keep around as a bench player. And he's granted free agency after the 1992 season. Signs a minor league deal with Cleveland and had a great year at AAA Charlotte hitting 38 home runs to lead the International League and driving in 96 runs. He earned a September call-up and hit 455 with four home runs in, in 12 games in 1993. And then begins some years of bouncing around. He was with the Yankees in 1994 with their AAA team. In 1995, he played in three countries, four if you count the Republic of Texas, He started in Calgary, played with the Pirates AAA team, and was released in June. I I was unsure about the situation around this release. He was hitting .333 at the time, and so I think it might have been by Sam's Choice. Isn't Sam's Choice the soda at Walmart? (laughs) Yeah, Sam's Choice is is the soda at Walmart. It must have been related. But maybe, David, he had his eyes set on... 
true glory, which was joining the Diablos Rojos del Mexico in Mexico City for the last month of the Mexico League season, where he would be a teammate of 1988 Tops podcast Hall of Famer Jay Baller. We got our Jay Baller and a Ray Quinones in this episode. It's special. This is a special app. So he finished out the season in the Mexican League, which I think ended in late July, and then he would go on to join the Rangers AAA affiliate in Oklahoma City. He hit 308 for them, earning another major league call-up. That would be his last call-up to the majors. He hit 111 in 11 games. That's a lot of ones. In 1996, he liked playing in Mexico so much in 95 that he went back to play there for a season, led the Mexican League in home runs, played a little bit in the independent leagues, and then made a big move. That's right. He went to Taiwan. He signed with the Taipei Gita in the Taiwan Major League in 1997 and 98. The Taiwan Major League was the competitor league to the Chinese Professional Baseball League. And at the time of his signing, he was the highest paid player in the Taiwan Professional Baseball history, making about $215,000 per year for the 1997 season. That record has since been broken. But because he played in Taiwan, I asked past guest painted cap analyst, Chinese historian, and Taiwan baseball enthusiast, Andrew, if there was any other information about Sam's time in Taiwan that's available outside of Wikipedia. And he said about the team, the Taipei Gita, this means sons, but not in Chinese. The Taiwan major leagues made a point of using words from indigenous languages to name the teams to help mark them as specifically Taiwanese and not Chinese. He said that the indigenous people of Taiwan, sometimes called Austronesian, sometimes called Aborigine, have been in Taiwan for thousands of years, as opposed to the Han Chinese, who've only been living in Taiwan for 400 years. And he said that Sam was probably the biggest name signed to this new league in 1997. The league was specifically supposed to model a more American power-hitting emphasis as opposed to the Japanese model of offense traditionally favored in Taiwan. Sam followed through on that power-hitting emphasis, and in his first game in Taiwan, he hit the first home run in TML history. And according to Andrew, it's difficult to find stats for this league, as it was later merged with CPBL, and when that merger happened, CPBL decided not to include TML stats in their official records. But from what I could find, Sam had a really big year. He led the league with 31 home runs in only 89 games, and he also hit 313. In 1998, he continued that run. He hit 15 home runs in only 48 games. But unfortunately, according to Andrew, he had to leave the league and Taiwan in July 1998 to get treatment for skin rashes. I don't know what happened there, but overall, his cards were really cool. They don't have stats on them, but the graphics on the front and back are really sweet. They say power 10,000 and power 30,000. I don't know what the 30,000 even means, but it's great. And then it has little logos, you know, little mascots that are on there too. So overall, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty juiced by these cards. Love them. Sam looks pretty good on these cards. He's big. He looks bigger than on this card. Put on some muscle. And he was good in Taiwan for those couple seasons. But after that skin rash issue, he came back to the U.S. He played a couple more seasons of indie league ball and then he retired at 37 
So closing the book on Sam Horn, eight years in the major leagues, but almost 20 years playing professional baseball, 389 games in the majors, 62 home runs and 1,040 at-bats, an OPS plus during that time of 119. How about in retirement? He lives in Rhode Island with his wife. He had three kids. He went into broadcasting briefly with NESN, doing some Red Sox games, and his home run catchphrase was kapow. He still plays in charity games and shows folks around Fenway as a Red Sox ambassador. And he hosts his own show on NBC Sports Boston called What Is Your Pregame? In that, he interviews celebrities, athletes, business and public leaders asking guests about their personal pregame preparation and recipe for success. I like it. This is a player uh, I didn't know much about Sam going into this, David, but I sure like him after hearing these stories. What do we think of Sam? I'm the same as you, Matt. This is a guy who, in his rookie season, hit 14 home runs in 46 games. But he wasn't listed as a future star. There were two all-star rookies on this Boston Red Sox team in Mike Greenwell and Ellis Burks. But Sam didn't get that little cup. Of course, the first baseman that year who did was Mark McGuire. He got the 50 cents treatment from Beckett. But this wasn't a guy who I picked out as a kid as a a future star or a, a top rookie to watch. As a player, he had huge power if he connected with the ball and if he got a chance to play. But he never really got that consistent chance. When pitchers figured him out, his strikeouts went up and he would lose playing time. And he didn't really have a regular position because he was a defensive liability. He said he couldn't really shake that perception, and it got to him. He said, my downfall was that mentality. I got in my head that I wasn't a good first baseman. I came to work just like Wade Boggs did when they said he wasn't a good third baseman. And he worked very hard. He took a thousand ground balls every day, and he was able to get better. But he also got better with the opportunity to be there and play. I never got a chance to play, let alone just be the DH. So Sam couldn't get a spot at first base, couldn't even get a spot playing DH regularly, and he never reached the potential of that first season, at least not in Major League Baseball. But he did lead three leagues in home runs, the AAA International League in 93, the Mexican League in 1996, and the Taiwan Major Leagues in 1997. While this card represents the Red Sox first baseman of the future who didn't quite hit the mark, I asked... Red Sox fan and friend of the pod, David, for his thoughts on Sam Horn. And I got back quickly a one-word answer, love. Sam Horn is a cult favorite among Red Sox fans. And in the late 90s, Red Sox fans created an online forum. They wanted to keep it relatively private and exclusive for real Red Sox fans. And they named it the Sons of Sam Horn. The guy who founded the site said it was kind of a play on the son of Sam And obviously that had a bad connotation, but at the same time, only a hardcore Red Sox fan would know who Sam Horn was. So that played into our idea of limiting the site to only the most diehard fans. This site gained some notoriety, getting some inside info from Kurt Schilling, who interacted with fans on the site while the Red Sox were in the process of acquiring him from the Arizona Diamondbacks. So this site was breaking news, it was breaking trades, breaking stories. Owner John Henry and Theo Epstein added visibility to the site by participating in chats. And Sam has really embraced both the site and his name on the site as a tribute to his legacy as a cult hero. I suppose 
you could take this as a joke or being made fun of or something, but he also represented the the hope of Red Sox fans in 1987. Because of that notoriety and that cult status, Sam also ran in 2007 for the position of president of Red Sox Nation. Yeah, this is the part of the story that really piqued my interest, David, because you and I met working on a political campaign in 2007 and 2008, around this same time. I wonder if if we had been hired by Sam Horn to run the field campaign to try to get him elected president of Red Sox Nation, what, what do you think we should have done? I think he still would have lost. <laughs> <laughs> but Sam did have a good ad. He had a good advertisement that showed him among the people. He had a little song. It showed him possibly coercing Johnny Pesky into giving him an endorsement. Johnny looking at, at the camera quizzically and saying, go to RedSox.com and vote for Sam Horn. Can I leave now? Please let, let go of me. <laughs> but Sam seems really friendly. He's out there with the people. It's great. There was a Tim Russert moderated debate between candidates. Some of the candidates for this position were Sam, Red Sox legend and broadcaster Jerry Remy, Doris Kearns Goodwin, who wrote Team of Rivals. I think a relative of Oil Can Boyd was involved. Ultimately, Sam lost out to Jerry Remy, and Jerry passed away earlier this year. I don't know if they're going to hold another election for this, but it was kind of a spectacle, and Sam, I think, cemented his place as a cult favorite. There were fans of Sam Horn who put radio ads out for him. Uh, It was a pretty fun part of Sam's story. What I love about that story, though, is that Sam only played for the Red Sox in the majors a handful of years. He wasn't an all-star. He wasn't a World Series winner. He's not the most likely ambassador you would think of, but he was just so fun. He played 103 games for the Red Sox. That's it. 103 games. While that career was short, Sam's okay with how things turned out. He knows that fans liked him and wanted him to succeed. And they they knew he was a nice guy. And he also brought excitement to the ballpark one way or another. Fans knew, according to Sam, quote, that guy right there, he struck out a lot. But he was the kind of guy that you wanted to make sure and watch. Because if he did hit it, he either hit it really hard or really far. And so Sam's okay with the way that he's perceived by Red Sox fans. And Red Sox fans still embrace him. There's pictures of him online showing groups of fans around the luxury boxes at Fenway, doing speaking tours, participating in charity events, and generally being a face of the Red Sox organization. And because of Sam's good nature and kindness, he makes a great ambassador for the team. Evidence of Sam's kindness is what led listener Ryan to request this card. In his email, Ryan said, My father took me to... Baltimore, for a game at the then-new Camden Yards. The Orioles were playing the Twins, and for the first few years of that park, it was really hard to get tickets at Camden Yards. You would have to get your game tickets through the box office. He said they were supposed to have a connection through the Red Sox ticket office to get these seats at Camden Yards. When his dad showed up to pick up the tickets, there was nothing there. And he begged the people at the ticket office, pleaded his case to no avail. He was wearing a Red Sox hat as he went up. Ryan's father didn't see that Sam Horn, who was now playing for the Orioles, had walked into the ticket office to drop something off. 
he overheard Ryan's dad, and he happened to have two extra seats, and he gave them to Ryan's father, allowing them to go to this game to not have made the trip from Boston to Baltimore in vain. Just uh, further evidence of Sam's kindness and just seems like a really good guy. That's a great story about Sam and, man, a great day for Ryan and his dad to score those tickets from Sam Horn. Red Sox legend in his own right. So thank you, Ryan, very much for the request. And thank you, David, for the story. And thank you to you at home for listening. If you've ever struck out six times in a single night at the bar, we'd love to hear all about it on Twitter. You can reach us at Tops1988. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.